Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. And what we're going to look at today is, is a very troublesome passage of Scripture with a lot of things in there. And um, it's going to be fun walking through this. But the, the overarching theme is what you're going to see is peace. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, a, a young leader, whether in age or just knowledge, um, some commentators will debate that. But Paul wrote this letter to a young leader. He was pastoring the largest church in Asia Minor in the first century. And that's in Ephesus. And Ephesus was like a Los Angeles or New York. It was like the, the big, big city. And Timothy was sent by Paul. And we saw the first week, Paul sent him in there to set that church in order. It's like, go get him, tiger. <laughs> you know, Hymenius and Alexander got kicked out. We saw that stuff. I mean, it got raw in week one. So Timothy goes into this church. And there's a lot of troublesome things going on at the largest church in Asia Minor. And what you're going to see here is that Paul is trying to give them a blueprint to be a church of peace. Because nobody wants to walk into a church where you got crazy stuff going on, right? People arguing and people go, nobody wants that. That's why I always tell you, my job is not trying to make Thrive big. How big is Thrive going to be? I don't care. Whether it's big or small, I'll be doing this right here the same way I always do it. But here's what I can do. I can make it healthy. Amen. And that's my goal is to make sure that we're, we're healthy. And so Paul writes to Timothy, and you'll see a lot of these instructions is, he's like, look, man, your, your service at the church of Ephesus is disruptive. It's chaotic. And it's, it, it, you've got to bring peace to the situation. There's, the, the, uh, human relationships always struggle with drama. They struggle with those things. And he writes here to show him that. And I'm going to tell you, uh, again, some of you, as we read through this, there's a, so much in here. And let me, let me preface it with this. You may view this passage one way, and that's the way you view it, and it's okay. If you're Calvinist in this place today, you may view in a Reformed view this a certain way. If you're Armenian, then you may view it another way. It's okay to disagree on some of these things right here. Because the Bible, I told you, there's some things that that we can debate on. I have brothers in Christ on both sides of the fence, and we debate these things. But what we're going to look at today is something that is fun to look at, but also is going to challenge you. Because some of you only read a verse of scripture and you take it out of context. You've never read letters. So let's read that. I'm excited to get into this today. Paul opens up telling Timothy, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. So Timothy needed to be praying for all people and giving thanks for them. And watch this in verse 2. He says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can do what? Live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. In the first century, Rome ruled the world. All right? If you watch the old gladiator movies, you can kind of get what it looks like. You can't think of it in 2015 terms, right? Timothy wasn't in a suit and tie. That Nobody dressed like that. It was in, it, Rome ruled the world. And Rome was not a, a, a nice overseeing governmental authority, right? They invented crucifixion. They perfected crucifixion. So you think capital punishment is bad in America? Try Rome out for a couple years. It was rough there. And they were very antagonistic toward the Christian faith. Very antagonistic. And you'll see, if you study church history in the first and second century, it was people were being, in gladiator coliseums, they would throw Christians to the lions and let them rip them apart, and they would cheer. 
So please pout to me about America. Please pout and get sad about America. Is that okay? Because they had it much worse. And what did Paul say? He said, pray for kings. Pray for those in authority. Stop posting junk on Facebook about those in authority. And start praying for them. Amen? That's what the Bible says do. Pray for those in authority. So we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. He was saying that to Timothy to pray for the, for the Roman rulership of that day. Verse 3 says, for this is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God desires that all people know Jesus. He wants them to. Verse 5 says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus. There's one way to God. His name is Jesus and that's what Paul is outlining there. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone and this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen, not me but Paul, as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles. That's all non-Jews. That's why he was, he was in Asia Minor going there to Ephesus and Sardis and Philadelphia and those places. Um, to Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Now in verse 8, you're going to see Paul narrow down for them and the churches in Asia Minor what was happening. Now now let me preface this by saying again, this was first century. Church did not look like this, okay? When they did gather together, they um, usually rented a philosophy hall because the synagogues would not allow them. Jewish synagogues did not want the Christians coming in. And so they rented philosophy halls, they had homes they met in, and things like that. Now when they met, men and women were on separate sides of the church, all right? They were were separated. Women were second-class citizens in first century Rome. They were not, there was not equality, there was not those things going on. It was a different world in a different time. And so what happened is most women were illiterate. They couldn't read or write. And so when, when, when the preacher was preaching, and I want to preface you with this, is that um, what, what church historians would, 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 would gather from this is that the women would be like, Frank, hey, what's he talking about? I mean, could you imagine if, if Doug sat on this side and Nicole sat on the other and Nicole's like, hey, what's he talking about over there? And, and I'm trying to preach. Wouldn't that be disruptive? You had chaos going in because women were, were actually given uh, a, a place of honor in the church where the world didn't give it. And so in the world, kind of like in Islam, if you study Islam, women are second class citizens, right? And in Christianity, it's not that way. That's why they're not the same religions. And so they were given freedom, but the women didn't know how to act. Y'all women don't look at me like that. I didn't say you, I said them. And so there's a lot of chaos going on. And so what Paul wants to do here is bring peace to the worship service and peace to the family unit. And so he's going, and watch this now, he's going to defer to the man, kind of be like, all right, when you get home, talk to your husband. Now, why is that? Because he could read and write. He could read and write. The overarching theme is you need to communicate about spiritual things. You need to, you need to talk about spiritual things if you're a couple. Not holler at each other in the church. Th- thank you that you don't do that. Wouldn't that be a, a disruptive if y'all are here at Thrive and that happens? So we're going to go through this and there's a couple of different ways to take this passage. Um, you do have some, some areas of interpretation in which you can go with it. Um, but, don't, but women, don't give me mean eyes. And here I'm going to break this down for you. 
Paul said in every place of worship, and he was talking about the, the, the churches of Asia Minor in that day, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. So men, you're talking about women in this thing? You need to be praying and lifting your hands up during worship. You want to talk about women submitting and doing those things. You need to be doing this because that's what he said. He said, free from anger and controversy. He wanted men to be spiritual leaders who were not angry and slapping their wives around and cussing at people and doing those things. He wanted to be free from anger and free from controversy. He said, men, you need to pray, lift up hands and seek the Lord there. Um, men, do y'all still love me? Yeah. Yes. Let's see. Okay. Women, you should have clapped there but because it's going to get tough for you so you can now uh, take it there. So let's keep reading here and you can look at what Paul uh, then says to women. And first of all, he deals with dressed and, and modesty. And I will break this down as we read. Verse 9 says, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Now in that day and time, if if you study Roman culture, you look at it, it was all about the outward adornment. And even in that day and time, prostitutes didn't wear, I guess, you see them cops before, they had like the high heels and the and they just they just look terrible, you know? It's like, ugh. Fur coats and stuff. I mean, you've seen the cop stuff. You see that and you're like, man, in that day and time, they had temple prostitution in the Greek temples. So literally, you could go to the Greek temple and worship Zeus and go meet with a prostitute and worship Zeus that way. That's how it was dealt with in that day and time. And they would adorn themselves to draw the men in. They would wear the, the great Gucci or whatever you, you ladies, you know, that nice stuff. But a, they wore that to draw and attract the men. Look at Proverbs 6 and 7 when it talks about uh, women and, and, and what the adulterous woman will do. That's what was happening uh, there in that culture. And Paul's saying in first century, don't do that. He says what matters is not how much you can spend on the outside, but what you have on the inside that really matters. And let me tell you something, men in this place, young men. Before I was even saved... Before I was uh, knew the Lord uh, in high school, you know they used to sign your yearbook at the end. All the friends did that, and I was as far from God as you could get. I mean, I was like you know, you know, drug addict. I was just a you know skateboarder, didn't care. And one of my friends, and she was the same way, and um, she actually wrote in the back of my my uh, yearbook. She said, "Best of luck to you, Kevin, and never be fooled by a pretty face." And I will tell you something. When I read that. That hit me like it was spiritual truth. And I laughed at it, but I'm telling you something. I always looked beyond just a pretty face. Now, thankfully, I have a beautiful wife, and she loves God, and she's awesome. But I'm telling you something. Do not, because this day and time in our culture, that's what it draws you to. Look at the outside, but ignore the inside. And Paul is saying there, if you're going to follow the Lord, women, he says, don't try to draw attention to yourself. Can I tell you something? When you turn the light on, what do you attract? Bugs. And when you wear scantily clothing, you're going to attract what? Bugs. I can't find any good men. Get out of the club. Put some clothes on your body. Open your Bible up. Pray. And then you're going to find the right person. Amen. 
Because men that are attracted to that will not be attracted to a good heart. It's no, no good to have a $1,000 purse, $500 shoes, and a two-cent heart. So make sure that you, amen, that, that you are doing that. And so focus on what matters on the inside. Verse 11 says this, and some of you ladies will give me the evil eye and, and maybe even throw tomatoes, but I didn't write this. Paul did, and we'll look at it. So um, I'm just the messenger. Verse 11 says that women should learn quietly and submissively. Let's look at that real quick. The same word for quietly there is the same word that's used for peace in the second verse. Same Greek word. Same Greek word. So the, the first thing is that women should learn, learn peaceably and submissively to their husbands. Not, not and, and you'll see, dominating them, not arguing and argumentative with them. And being, He says that's what women should do. Because in the church at the end time, they weren't doing that. They were hollering from one side to the other. I mean, I don't, I don't know how disruptive it got, but it was bad enough that Paul had to set some parameters for the church. Now, verse 12 is one of the most, um, what I would say, um, mysterious and misunderstood verses in the Bible. And it can be used for a, a, a male domination of women, but it shouldn't be. And let me show you why here. And it should also not be used for women not being able to lead in the local church. That's, that is, because um, um, if you look in the book of Acts, it had Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla was one of the leaders of that church there in the book of Acts. So when you look at scripture, look at all. But look what Paul says. He says, and I, and I, I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. That word authority. Let's look at that real quick. As I was studying the Greek there, the, the word that's used throughout the New Testament is the word exousia. So you've got to think this morning. Exousia. That's, that's the word when Jesus said that authority, exousia. It's a legal right and authority. See, when you're a Christian, you have a legal right and authority over the devil. Amen? Jesus gave you this legal right that you have. But the word that Paul uses is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Isn't that wild? He uses it one time and it's right here. And so when you start looking at first century Greek definitions of what this means, it's the word authentane. And the word authentane there is actually the word um, uh, that meant an unholy authority marked by manipulation. And even used in terms of manipulating and murdering people. And that's sometimes in governmental senses or, or in senses of um, um, studying uh, crimes. That's what it was used for. So Paul is saying here, women don't have, you, listen, you should not have an unholy authority by manipulation over a man. You should not try to dominate a man. And I believe in the same way a man should never dominate a woman either. Amen? If you want to dominate a woman, you can meet me behind the church. Behind the church. I'll take my pastor badge off and I'll show you what it's like. I'm serious about that. If you, if, you, if you want to hit women, come outside and beat on me. I guarantee I'll hit back. I'm just being real, guys. Amen. I thought women would like that a little more, but I guess I'll keep going with that. Um, but let's, let them listen quietly. Don't holler in the church. Don't do those things. Now, verse 13, 14, and 15 is mysterious. And we're going to look at this here. We're going to break this down for a second. But I'm going to tell you something. I studied several commentaries. And all of them said you can go several directions here. Several directions. This is one of those passages that if you know exactly what it says, you don't know what it says. Let's look at this in verse 13. For God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve. Now he's given man responsibility here to lead. And that's what that is. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. But you realize that in the rest of Paul's writings, who does he blame for the fall? Adam. Read Romans. It's all by Adam. See, Adam willfully disobeyed. Because the Lord told him what to do, Eve was deceived. 
Adam disobeyed, but Eve was deceived, deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Now, now, let me help you with that too. In childbearing is a very confusing term there in the Greek. As I look through it, number one, you cannot deduct from this. This means spiritual salvation. That, that you know, you, you, you give your life to Jesus, you get water baptized, you go through 101, 203, 301, and then you're going to have babies. <laughs> if you have babies, you'll be saved. That's, that, that, that's a pretty ridiculous way to look at it. And when you look at this, if you look at Genesis, um, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, especially in chapter 3, after the fall, um, there was a promise given to Eve. And the promise was this, is that your seed will crush the head of the serpent, which is Satan. And in, in that passage, what was being said there is that, that Eve, when you will birth in your line Savior, and he will destroy the serpent. And so, in this passage here, one of the the best uh, commentaries that I read was, as you look at this, you've got to realize that women have a very important role in bringing salvation to the earth. And and a woman has has done that, and that was Eve who brought Jesus uh, to the earth. They have a very important role with that. And that's how you can look at that there. There are several different ways, but what I've uh, read with this is, it is mysterious. But what Paul does in that culture, and I still believe today that men should... take responsibility to lead. Men should take responsibility to lead. Men should take responsibility to lead. Stop being lazy. Stop being lackadaisical. You need to pray with your family. You need to to take the lead. And I believe that a lot of times men do not do that and that's what bothers me the most when we look at this here. But I am thankful for one thing. We got men at Thrive Church that will lead. And I'm very thankful for every man in here who leads his home, who leads in ministry, and who, who leads um, to, as a role model to the children. Today I met with a, a couple right before they went in to teach kids church. And, I, and this is their first time. And I, and I told the gentleman, I said, um, you know, let me just say this to you. I said, um, it's encouraging that, that you're doing that. Because kids need you as a role model. Take the role to lead there. And, and let me and we'll look at this later. But have peaceful marriages. That's one thing about a church that a church needs is peaceful marriages. If you come in and everybody's arguing, who wants to go to that church? And that's what Paul was trying to lay out, guys, and trying to help them understand that role there. Now, listen, in our generation, people need, people, listen to me, people need peace. They want peace. They're looking for peace. And that's how you can be a purple cow to your generation, where people, you know, if you drive through a field, you see a brown cow and a white cow and a, and a black and white cow and all the rest then you see a purple cow, what do you do? What do you do? You stop. And you want to see that purple cow because it's different. And what the world is looking for are people that model peace. See, you either be a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is somebody who avoids conflict and they're an ostrich. They stick their head in the sand and maybe it will all go away if I just ignore it, right? And some people are like that in here. I just ignore it and maybe it'll all get better. Maybe the, the cord in the, 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 the garage that, you know, that I use, if I just leave it there, it will straighten itself out. How many times has that ever happened? Never. The cord fairy never comes and straightens the cord out. Um, you have peacekeepers do not want to deal with conflict. They push it off and eventually they explode by going off the deep end. Peace breakers are people who never have peace. You ever have folks you get around and do not look at your spouse? 
And every time you meet him, you see him coming, you're like, oh man, I had peace. And I know immediately as I talk to that person, they're going to kill all my peace. They're peace breakers. I mean, there's just no peace in them at all. But then finally you have peacemakers. Peacemakers. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And those are people who will deal with conflict head on in a mature way. They're people who bring peace to situations and bring resolution to that. And that's what Jesus called us to be. And guys, there's many things that will hold you back from that. Sometimes the stress of life keeps you from being a peacemaker. See, Paul was telling Timothy, be a peacemaker in the church of Ephesus. Deal with these issues and bring peace. Stress will keep peace from your life. Because when the storms start swirling outside, sometimes we let the storms get in us. The problem is not that your boat goes through a storm. It's when you let the storm in the boat. That's when a boat sinks. And you cannot let the storm get in your boat. So the stress of life sometimes brings uh, uh, the killer of peace. The other thing is unforgiveness. When you hold grudges and have bitterness against other people, you will never live in peace. If unforgiveness is not a natural part of your daily routine where you check your heart and you forgive other people, if you're full of bitterness and you're full of negativity and you're full of anger, you will never have peace. And that's the first place I I would encourage you to start is are you holding grudges in your heart against someone else? Maybe it's lack of knowledge and and, and you didn't know that Jesus called you to be a peacemaker. They remember what what, what the famous uh, theologian said, uh, G.I. Joe said, knowing is what? Half the battle. battle. Somebody knows G.I. Joe. The rest of you need to get on board. (laughs) Knowing is half the battle. Thank you, G.I. Joe. And so maybe you don't know today that Jesus called you to be a peacemaker. Or maybe you just haven't got before the Lord and asked him to empower you to do that. Here's the big idea today. In order to present the gospel of peace properly, we must be people of peace personally. Say it one more time. In order to present the gospel of peace properly, we must be people of peace personally. And Paul was encouraging Timothy to be someone who lived with peace. And here's three quick points here. I'm not going to belabor these, but I want to give you three actions that peacemakers do according to this, these scriptures here. The first one is this. Pray for a peaceful government who is open to the gospel. Pray for a peaceful government who is open to the gospel. 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 4 says this. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all those who are in authority so that we can live peaceful lives and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. As I said before, Rome was wicked. Wicked. Sick. America is middle school, if not elementary school, compared to varsity, which was Rome. They were sick and Paul said, pray. Pray for what? That we can have live peaceful lives so we can peacefully share the gospel. That we can peacefully share the gospel. Right now, you need to pray for your, for your brothers and sisters who live in, 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 in the eastern, Middle Eastern and Eastern countries. Because th- their, their government is not open to sharing the gospel. I got a, a, an email from a missionary and they had to leave the area because they were banning all Christians and missionaries from being there. And they had to leave the mission field and come home where they could be killed. And you don't realize that in America um, how good we have it. But you must still not only pray for them, but pray here in our nation that we can continually to peacefully share the gospel. The second point is this. What do peacemakers do? 
They worship to create a personal environment of peace. They worship to create a personal environment of peace. And 1 Timothy 1.8 says this, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. You have to learn in your life to create a personal place of worship where peace can dwell. You have to. You've got to set aside time in your day just to get before the Lord, do a woosah, turn on some good worship music, and just sit with God. You cannot cultivate a life of peace, live in a hectic schedule, and always having your attention somewhere else. You've got to make that time with the Lord where you allow the Holy Spirit to birth peace in you. See, that's a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of your hard work. Peace is when you rest, not when you work. And worship is resting in what Jesus has done for us. Worship is thanking the Holy Spirit that He can birth peace inside of you. And so learn to lift your hands up, man. Learn to worship the Lord personally. Learn to cultivate that and you will find peace in your life. And here's the third and final point. What do peacemakers do? They strive to have relationships marked by peace. They strive to have relationships marked by peace. Paul told uh, the, the church there in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 1.11. He told Timothy to say this. Women should learn peacefully, the word quietly, peacefully. Same word as earlier and submissively. Paul was saying, look, stamp out the drama. Stamp out the arguing. Get together as a couple in your home and talk about the scriptures together. Talk about what the Lord is saying to you. One of the things that the world is looking for is for us to have relationships marked by peace. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You have as much drama in your life as you want to have. I have no drama. I actually have a checkout gate where if somebody comes with drama, and it's like the TSA guys at the airport, it actually goes off. If I see drama, it's like, you ain't passing through this relationship. You are entitled to peace in your life. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called. People will call you a child of God because they see peace in your life in the relationships that you have. Let me close here with this. Are you a carrier and distributor of peace? Do you, are you infected with peace? That wherever you go, you bring the peace of God. Is today, or today you're looking, you're saying, man, Kevin, I'm looking at this. And I can identify with what the church at Ephesus is going through because I lack peace. People don't see peace in my life. I don't have it. And let me tell you something. And you can't work to get it. You can't work to get it. That's the thing about Christianity, and I tell you this all the time. It's a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in you. You cannot produce peace yourself. You can go lay on the beach for a couple hours, and you'll have temporary peace. And you come back, and life's chaotic. And you need another vacation. You can go out and ride roller coasters at Bush Gardens, and you get peace for a little while. And then you come back, and it's you and your life can have peace anywhere at any time because of what Jesus has done for us and he's given us the Holy Spirit and let me say this people are looking for you to show them peace and when they find peace and they see peace they will then look for Jesus 
That's why people are trying to follow Buddhism. They follow Four Noble Truths and they meditate and sit. They're trying to find peace from outside. We have the secret of peace. Amen. May we be distributors of it. May we be like the people with the mask on. People see us, they man something strange. They're different. It's peace. It's peace. In order to share the gospel with people, we must be people of peace. Amen. If you will stand to your feet this morning. bow your head and just close your eyes in here. I want to I take some time to pray before our worship team leads us. I want to pray for you in here. If today you heard this message and you saw the chaos in the church at Ephesus, you saw Paul trying to tell Timothy to be a peacemaker, bring peace to a situation, and you're saying, Kevin, I need the peace of God to fill my heart and life. I need to guard my heart it's a free gift for you. All you have to do is ask and the Holy Spirit's going to birth that in you. So today, if you're saying, Kevin, pray for me. I just need peace. Lift your hand up. I want to pray for you right where you're at. I just need some peace. I just need some peace. I just need some peace. Amen. I see those hands. Amen. 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 I want to pray for you right now, right where you're standing. And as the worship team's going to lead after I pray, you're going to take some time to ask the Lord to fill you with His peace that passes all understanding. Father, thank you for um, inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this passage to a young leader named Timothy. We praise you, God, that you've called us to be peacemakers. And we praise you that you have given us the Holy Spirit who births peace. We thank you that your son, Father, is called the Prince of Peace. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person in here just honest and said I I need peace I pray right now that they would sense the peace of God that passes all understanding right now that just would just fill their heart I pray that Lord Jesus I ask Lord that that every person in here lifted their hand would just sense the peace of God storms can be foiling around but Jesus we know we know that we can have peace in the boat because you're going to meet us in the boat The storms don't bother you. The wind and waves still obey your name. I pray right now for confidence in every person's heart. That they can trust you. And God, I ask right now that you fill this place with a peace that only you can give. Not from hard work and meditation and reading or not temporary earthly peace like a beach or or, or fun. God, may it fill this place right now. May we lay down, God, all in us and pick up your peace today. And we pray, Lord, that peace is not about us. It's about the world, a hectic world out there that is crying out for true peace. They're crying out for true peace. We pray right now, Lord, that you fill this place with peace. Fill our hearts with peace. God, we receive your peace today. Holy Spirit, have your way in here. Have your way in here. Church, right now, as the worship team begins to sing, I want you to take a moment. You can lift your hands, your hearts, kneel, stand, wherever you want to do, and ask the Lord right now to fill your heart with peace. Ask the Holy Spirit to birth that fruit in you.